Hi, and welcome to episode 21 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Ken Hooks, founder of True Sleep Diagnostics, joining us. Ken is a registered respiratory therapist with seven years of experience and a registered polysomnographic technologist for adults and pediatrics with six years of experience. He is also the polysomnographic technician instructor at Greenville Technical College. He co-authored the case report, Rapid Maxillary Expansion and Adenotone selectomy in nine-year-old twins with pediatric obstructive sleep apnea syndrome, an interdisciplinary effort, and is currently working on two case studies, pediatric home sleep testing, and myofunctional therapy, the missing link. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Well, thank you, Ken, for joining us on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be a part of this. And to tell you the truth, this is an area that I I know about, but I don't know about. So I know that it's something that's really important, and it's something that I wanted to gain more knowledge on, but my knowledge is very basic. So I'm really excited because I think I'm going to learn a lot from what you have to share with us today, which is exciting. And I know that one of the things we want to just start talking with, which is something I struggle with personally, is the importance of sleep. <laughs> Let's start there. Yes. yes. So more important than anything on this earth, fact and opinion is sleep. We have to have sleep because that is the way that our body actually recharges everything. Our uh, mental capacity and cognition, our body's ability to fix itself, uh, immune response, and how everything grows, growth hormone, metabolism, um, everything is slowed down so it can be restored to a property where we can uh, function properly during the day and effectively, I guess it, properly and effectively is the best yes. thing. <laughs> so I know um, one of the things that in sleep we struggle with is everyone is so defensive of their sleep. Oh, no, no I'm fine. I, I sleep fine. Or, mm. uh, you know, I work hard during the day. So yeah, yeah, I fall asleep during the day because I work so hard or, you know, my kids, which I, I have a new, a fresh baby. And I'm, I'm mega tired, but you still got to sleep. You know, it's, there's no excuses to it. And um, when you are tested and you can be shown what's going on, then it kind of brings uh, the light bulb kind of comes on and you kind of see how these things kind of fit together. Well, I want to know your secrets for how you're sleeping with a newborn, but <laughs> that's, a whole, that's a whole different conversation. Oh, man. I, know, I got like two cameras, two cameras on my side. Oh. It's crazy. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. Well, yes, I think that that is a really good point that you, you brought up because I started giving questionnaires when I do my intakes, like the pediatric sleep questionnaire. I tried the bears. I tried different ones to see what kind of information yeah. I can gather um, and which one I feel is most useful for my purposes with the families that I work with. 
And you're right. I get that so often. People are defensive about sleep. Like, oh no, my child sleeps fine. Or, oh, they sleep all night. I'm like, well, that doesn't mean that the quality of their sleep is good. And so I know we'll probably talk about that. Um, You have here flow limitation and facial architecture. So can you talk about that, like what that means and how that all plays in? Yes. And so I'm glad you said that even though um, they may be laying in bed for 10 hours there, they may not be asleep. The biggest thing about sleep deprivation is airflow. Mm -hmm. So the body reacts to whatever's going on to try to stay normal. If you have a facial architecture deficiency, a vaulted palate, uh, retronathia, uh, just to name the biggest two that you would probably see, even turbinate enlargement or something like that, um, you will not get the amount of volume that your lungs need to pump blood to your heart, to get oxygenated blood to your periphery and everywhere else in your body. So while, yep, young Tom Williamson may be in bed for 10 hours, but his body is working super hard to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. So he's sweating, you know, at night. Why is, my, why is my son and my daughter sweat so much? So sleep deprivation is not necessarily the number of hours. It's the quality of sleep in that number of hours that makes a difference. Okay. Um, so with, with flow limitation, this is the big thing about, um, especially in pediatrics, sleep deprivation, attention deficit, um, in uresis or the uh, nocturnal urination, mm-hmm. a, a lot of these, and there's case studies on, on all of these uh, comorbid situations for pediatrics, but what we see is when the architecture is not the way it's supposed to be, when there's not enough space to allow a certain volume to come into the body, the body reacts as a threat. There's a threat. There's impending doom. The sympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system activates. Your heart rate spikes. And it's trying to wake you up so everything can normalize. Mm-hmm. Well, the way you get high blood pressure from bad sleep is your blood vessels are wide open. And then they kind of come back. And then they're wide open again. And they come back. So now you're getting these floppy blood vessels. And you get high blood pressure that way. Same mm-hmm. way with migraines. We have a lot of kids with migraines where you get increased blood flow to the brain all throughout the night. So having sleep apnea is one thing. Being able to say, yeah, sleep apnea is bad. We can treat sleep apnea. The focus of uh, uh, the group I'm working with here is to find flow limitation based on architecture. Fix the architecture, and you fix all the problems that that go along with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 Autumn, Autumn and I actually, Autumn is so great. So nine-year-old young lady had autism. She's on medications for aggression, attention deficit, hyperactivity, and bedwetting. Mm-hmm. Um, all her physicians kind of passing her around, don't know what to do, don't know what to do. Well, Autumn finds that she does have a, a maxillofacilical deficiency and says, have you ever been tested for sleep? No. She's got severe sleep apnea. And so wow. while we are testing with home sleep tests, which actually underscore for pediatrics, so mm. she's severe on a home sleep test. She'd probably be even worse in the lab. Wow. Um, so anyway, we find that out. Uh, we're able to use that report for medical necessity for ENT to do some nasal surgery. She comes out of nasal surgery. First thing she says is mommy, I can breathe. Hmm. And so she's even aware of what's going on. It just gives pills. I mean, for a child <laughs> to go, for a child to say something like that, I, how, wow. I mean, how impactful. It, it is. And so six months later, she's off all her meds. She wow. bedwets occasionally. Wow. And so uh, where we'll have, you know, physicians and ENTs, all medical professionals that kind of look over this stuff, it really is important. And um, thank goodness there's someone, my functional therapist and speech language pathologist that can 
pinpoint and say, hey, there's something wrong with this structure or there's something wrong with, you know, the face nasal area. And let's let's do a test and see if there's some repercussions for this. Yeah, well, and, and I'm very fortunate because I have a nice airway centric team here where my, we even have the dentists who, you know, we're working together and, and they're looking, they're doing the, the expansion of the palate yeah. as they recognize it. And we actually just put my daughter into an ALF to start her expansion. She just turned four a couple weeks ago and because yeah. she's got large tonsils and the ENT doesn't want to take them out. And she's got, you know, the higher palate. She had a tongue tie that we corrected when she was two. And so, you know, it's like one, one piece of the puzzle here. And, and she's a kid who sleeps all night and she's got like, but she's also that go, 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 go nonstop energy. So I have sure. to wonder if, even though she seems rested, is the quality of her sleep still any good? And I've considered doing the home sleep test. And I'm sure I'm going to, when we get off here, I'm going to go and order some for everybody in my family. (laughs) (laughs) From parents to my children, my husband and I, um, I did a home sleep study once and it didn't really come back with anything, but I think it also may not be what you're doing. So, or at least maybe it wasn't read the same way that you might be reading, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, But yes, that facial architecture, texture or the anatomy, as we always say, it, that is so important. And that's what we look at myofunctional therapists. You know, we're looking for what's going on in the mouth and what can we, what can we improve to get airway? Cause I say airway is life. If you can't breathe, you're dead. And <laughs> people listening to the podcast are like, yes, Hallie, you say that every three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> like, that oh, is. It's, I'm driving it home. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. The, the, the key to life is the face. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then I I guess going into the numbers, like what are you looking at in these sleep studies, um, you know, that indicates there's an issue? Yes. So, um, when everybody does a sleep study, they say, okay, what is my report? Let me see the interpretation. What do the physicians say? So these reports are generated numbers based on averages. Um, you may say, what was my lowest oxygen saturation? 76. Well, uh, okay. But what was my average? Your average was 95. Oh, well, your average is good. So you're probably okay. You know, something may have happened. Same thing with the heart rate. What's your normal heart rate? Oh, well, you know, you're still in normal range. If, if say for instance, my normal heart range is 50 and I'm having a sleep study and my average is 80, they'll say, oh, well, it's in range. No, it's not in my range. That's right. not my baseline. Right. So there's a problem of consistency during the study. Uh, so what everyone does is chase these numbers. They chase the, the AHI or ODI. RDI, they chase these indexes based on insurance. Insurance says if you don't have five hypopneas or apneas per hour, then nothing's wrong with you. Mm. But what I've done, and um, I have a PowerPoint for this, but what I've done is I look at the actual flow, the raw data on the sleep study. And if there's any limitation, you can actually tell the volume by the amplitude of the waveform. So mm. as the amplitude shrinks, and then you have a big gasp or it's a side breath where your body's trying to correct your heart rate can spike up to and in one child we saw 30 beats a minute so they'll be at their baseline and then 30 beats per minute higher continuously throughout the night and so they may not they may have an AHI of zero 0. 0.1 but their heart has been banging all night long all night long wow and uh one other thing i look at is called the pulse oximetry plasmography what the pleth is, is it is the amount of blood volume that's actually sent to the periphery. So every time there's a waveform in the pleth, that's actually a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. We can actually see or quantify the volume of blood volume that's going out per heartbeat. So with every flow limitation, 
that volume reduces. And in women, where we see that they have no AHI or very low, but they may have cold hands, cold extremities, cold feet, hmm. that is because the blood flow is being restricted to the periphery so much that now they have cold hands, warm heart. The warm heart is from the blood flow being shunted to the core elements. Hmm. And that's all sympathetic response to the flow limitation and the body trying to correct it. So um, I always, I always, whenever I talk to a dentist, I say, let's not chase numbers. Let's look at the raw data. I will give you a report where I tell you what I see in the raw data. We can talk about numbers. And even when I explain it to patients, I'll say, we'll talk about numbers first, and then we'll talk about what I saw. Mm-hmm. And also we'll pull out the, the trend of the whole night. And you can see how the heart rate spikes. Let's say somebody has worse on their back than on their side, which is everybody. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> we'll see the heart rate go in like a McDonald's arch. And I, this is not good. You had no respiratory events, but why is your heart rate so high in this hour? This is the mm-hmm. flow limitation. So um, as we talked about before, if you take the flow away and we just look at pulse rate and the SPO2 plus, someone that has severe flow limitation or even moderate, their sleep study will look exactly the same as someone that has severe sleep apnea. Wow. Yep. That's incredible. So chasing numbers is not a thing to do. Um, it's always good to be able to see. And I try to teach some dentists what the raw data looks like so you can have an idea where a patient says, uh, or even overnight axiometry, they, you know, well, you didn't desat the whole time, so we're good to go. Oh, that's not true. Um, you don't have to desat in the flow limitation. And um, that, that's one of the biggest things is you can't, you really need multiple factors to look at to see if everything is okay. And uh, one more instance I'm going to tell you about. Yeah, there please a do. young lady. She's uh, 30 years old, I believe. And um, uh, she had uh, jaw surgery twice, relapsed twice. Mm. Had problems since she was a young child with uh, memory cognition, attention deficit, and things like that. No one knew, so to speak, what was going on. And she used to get frustrated. So did a home sleep test on her. Her saturation throughout the whole thing was 94%. Now for a 30 year old, it needs to be in the upper nineties. Um, usually 94% is upper in age, you know, where your bodily functions are, are reducing, so to speak. So what happened is she had severe flow limitation, mm. didn't score anything on the apnea hypotenuse index, but her saturation is so low is because her body is used to that saturation. Her wow. heart doesn't work any harder to make her blood saturation any higher. She's so mm-hmm. used to being at 94. Now at 92, 92 and less is where we see patients with COPD. That's their normal. And so at 94, you would think that she almost has a lung problem at her age. Wow. So to speak, just a, a offshoot opinion type of factoid kind of thing. Um, so there's things there that you may not necessarily look at. A physician may say, well, you're normal. It's 94%. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But is it really fine? Right. You're looking uh, at the wrong not, markers. Yeah. That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and you know, in, in, in true uh, medical fashion, nobody likes to have anything challenged, right? So if there are certain, oh. certain um, definitions or standards of qualifying for a certain, you know, whatever. Um, and then, you know, you got to love when insurance also steps in and says, well, no, we're not going to cover it unless we see X, Y, and Z. And so now physicians are starting to go based on X, Y, and Z when really that's not good patient care. Um, not that it's at the fault of the physician, but it's, you know, that's what you see. That's what you know. That's what you remember. You know, I feel like this is really helpful because I think that you're mentioning, um, different, not no, well, they are numbers, but different. Um, what am I trying to say? Like ways of 
looking at sleep and the different numbers and different factors that need to come into play when reading a sleep study um, that's not traditionally done. And so do you see like what you're doing as far as the things that you look at? Do you see this done in traditional sleep centers or are they really not so, that stuff? Definitely not. Um, the, and I can't speak for all, there are some really good sleep facilities and, you know, scattered around the country. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, sleep is dictated by insurance and a sleep mm-hmm. physician will run through a study and if they qualify, they qualify. If they don't, what am I going to do? What options do I have for treatment? Mm-hmm. Nothing. I don't mm-hmm. have anything else. So, um, you know, you're just going to have to go. Patient may say, well, I, I'm still tired. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, I give you stimulants. That's yeah, that's the key to it. You know, the castle is stimulants. Uh-huh. So. Okay. So we have a nation of people walking around very tired, basically. (laughs) They all need to find you. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to put it. So your website, if they want to order a sleep test for you, is truesleepdiagnostics.com, right? That's right. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes. We'll mention it again at the end of the recording. So if anybody's driving while listening to this, don't feel like you have to write that down right now. Um, But I just want to mention that since we're talking about it, and I just think this is such crucial information that people don't even realize they don't have access to yet. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. One thing is when you mentioned Medicare, like not Medicare, insurance. Mm -hmm. So you have a patient in a situation like this and you don't fix it. And down the road, what's going to happen? Kidney failure, tumors, cancers, Mm. um, hypertension. You'll end up paying more for this patient over time than you would right now for a fix. And that's a good point because, you know, a lot of people will say, well, stress is what causes all illness. Well, yes, when you can't breathe, you have stress on your system 100% of the day. That's right. So, you know, when doctors are saying stress, what they really mean is, and if you're sleeping well and you have external stressors, how much better are you going to handle those external stressors when internally everything is functioning properly? And I've, you know, I've had that conversation with some of my patients um, because they go, well, you know, I go to the doctor and they just tell me to stop stressing because they've known me for 30 years. And this, I, there was an adult I actually assessed yesterday and she made a comment like this. And I was like, that kills me. That kills me that the answer to your problems is that somebody told you to stop stressing. Like that doesn't help yes. anything. Like let's figure out why your body is reacting to the stress this way, because obviously there's an underlying root cause and you know, but it's That's easier right. for people just to write everything off to, Oh, it's stress. And then move on with their day. Um, so yeah, so I'm glad that, that things like this exist. Um, so I, I touched on it briefly, but like sleep deprivation, right? Um, I know you say like you're, you're awake while asleep. Can we talk about that a little bit more? And, um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add on that topic. We've talked about it a little bit, but yeah. So, um, a couple things on this, doing a full in lab study, we monitor EEG, we do a modified EEG. So that's how we know what stage of sleep you're in. Um, there's actually a criteria to score or stage a sleep study to put sleep stages to. So if you have an arousal within a certain amount of time, um, after that arousal, we have to drop the sleep stage down. So um, you can actually look and see. So let's say somebody's in a deepest stage of sleep, stage three, and they have an arousal, um, very slow wave sleep. Um, so now the brain speeds up. So you're awake, you're still asleep, but your brain is functioning now. Is something is going on. The body's trying to fix something. So that's where the night sweats come from. The body's trying to fix something. You're not asleep. Okay. The body you, is and there's like four levels of sleep, right? There's kind of like that deepest right. level. And then, so you're basically never getting into that truly restful, is that REM sleep or what do you call like state level? Yeah, so 
let's talk about that too. Um, so stage three sleep is the deepest sleep. We used to okay. do stage four, which is okay. even deeper, but now we just do three. And then okay. REM sleep is important for brain function. However, it's a very light stage of sleep. There's a lot of brain activity. See, I told you I don't know anything about this. <laughs> no, it's a, no, it's, I, I totally appreciate this because it's uh, even some of the, the dentists that I talk to, will, a lot of people believe REM is, is deep sleep. Yeah, I so thought it's, it was. It's a very fast activity. No, <laughs> but we do. Uh, so stage three is immunity, okay. um, you know, body restoration. But you also compile all the memories for the day. Thoughts, memories, anything dealing with that is compiled in stage three. Mm. And in REM sleep, it's locked away. So if you're getting breakages in your sleep during stage three in REM, you're going to get impaired cognition. You're going to get attention deficit. You're going to get memory loss. And... Um, uh, the glymphatic system, which only operates during sleep, was just found out a few years ago. Um, so in REM sleep, the brain gets rid of harmful proteins like beta amyloid, which the buildup of that causes Alzheimer's. Um, it gets rid of all these proteins through cerebral spinal fluid, only in REM. So for patients who get breakages in REM, they have airflow limitation or they have sleep apnea. Um, that's killing that process. So you're actually not restoring anything through you, you get memory loss because your memories don't get locked away. They just, they just disperse, so to speak. Interesting. That's very, so yeah, I've always thought of it as like that subconscious, you know, sleep where every, your brain's basically working, even though you're sleeping and you don't really yeah. know what's going on because you're asleep. But yeah, so fascinating. Well, thank you. Cause I'm definitely learning. Like I said, I knew I was going to learn things, but I'm learning a lot more than I realized I needed to learn. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so then as far as any further like signs or symptoms, um, I know we've talked about some of the comorbidities that you see with like ADHD and all these, you know, all these other illnesses um, later in life. But I know there's different things that you see like in adults versus pediatrics. And, you know, for peds, I, I assess a lot of peds. So I see the kids who have ADHD who have, might be on the spectrum or they might have spectrum-like symptoms or they have a really hard time just functioning during the day and it impacts maybe social skills because they're exhausted yeah. and they're not, you know, they're kind of just keeping to themselves. Um, it's just so interesting to think that sleep, you know, for some of these kids can be a, a major factor. And I've also known kids on the spectrum who don't sleep according to their parents. They're up <laughs> playing and I'm like, well, I wonder why they're wired and, you know, <laughs> that's right, um, that's not right. really available to learn or communicate with us right now. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, is there anything you want to add about, you know, the signs, symptoms, comorbidities, either for peds or and or adults? Yes. Um, don't, don't overlook complaints. Um, a lot of times we overlook complaints and, I'm not saying sleep causes everything, but if you give me a comorbidity, I can link it to sleep in some sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, heart function is a big one. Um, um, blood flow to the brain, that's a big one. So stroke, of course, you can imagine increased blood flow to the brain. Yeah. Um, hypertension, you can actually get tumors around organs because if you have reduced blood flow, let's say to the kidneys or the liver, you have reduced blood flow, the body will actually make blood vessels around it to increase the blood flow. Oh, wow. So now you're building a tumor around that or a, a cyst, so to speak, uh, restless legs, we have iron deficiency. Um, and there's a lot of things that I've been doing research on, leptin and ghrelin, uh, or hormones of satiation and hunger, but there's so much more to that. And actually sympathetic nervous system can counteract and throw those off the balance. Those are metabolic functions, metabolic hormones that can um, you say, hey, I, I'm on a good diet, I'm working out, I can't lose weight. Are you sleeping good? What's your sleep like? 
that you have slow limitation because that could be throwing off your metabolism. That could be the problem. Um, mm. So those are the, the, the biggest one, hypertension stroke. Um, so in kids, if, if uh, the architecture is deficient, they have um, so for physicians that don't want to take the tonsils out, you get into a situation where um, the fluid from the ear can't pass through the eustachian tube. The adenoids are surround the eustachian tube. So that fluid buildup will block the eardrum from, from beating or vibrating. That can cause deafness. So um, it's, a, it's a very thin line where a physician can say, um, and not to say I'm I am better than any physician. I, I hate to say it that way, but I, I've seen it. I've seen a child be deaf in one ear because adenoids and tonsils weren't taken out because they grow out of it. Mm. Um, so not only do you have a situation where you don't have the appropriate flow going to the body, you have a sleep sort of problem, but in addition, you have architecture problem that's not being addressed. Mm. There's no need to continue to put tubes in when you can fix the architecture and you won't have the need for tubes. Right. Right. And I know some people are very anti-surgery or if we can do something else to shrink the tonsils and, you know, and the adenoids. And I think I mentioned before, my daughter's got what I consider like level three tonsils are not kissing, but they're large and they often look infected. And even the dentist, my airway centric dentist said, has she been sick recently? The last time she saw her and I was like, no, nope, that's what they, that's what they've looked like for the past year. And he's not impressed. And she's like, okay. So, you know, we're hope we're hopeful that with what we're doing, you know, dental expansion wise that they will come down in size. Otherwise we're going to, we're going to have to take them out. But, you know, yeah, I just, that's an interesting conversation because as a mom and as a therapist, you kind of go, well, when do we put a child through this awful surgery? And when do we kind of wait and see like, Many, at least around me, a lot of the ENTs like to take the wait and see approach. We don't really have a lot of airway centric ENTs uh, in the DC metro area, unfortunately. Um, so that's uh, definitely though sleep, because I think sleep again impacts everything else. So I think that for me, a lot of it comes down to sleep, and everyone goes, Well, she's sleeping fine. So you have, you know, time to kind of play with this. And I'm going, <laughs> But is she really sleeping fine? <laughs> Like, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> Find out. Yeah, so that's that's very helpful, and I think we cut out before too. So just for anybody listening, so you were you were talking about um, enlarged adenoids and tonsils. Is that right? With yes. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, any, you know, I know we want to talk about breaking the mold a bit as far as using myofunctional therapy and our, our ENTs who are airway centric and all that. Um, all that fun stuff, but is there anything else prior to talking about that that you wanted to add in? Um, no, no. Perfect. So let's, let's go there. So I know you get to work with Autumn Reed Henning, who has been on this podcast as well, um, and does the myofunctional therapy side of things. So you're very familiar with what that looks like just in terms of, you know, working at it from a team aspect. Um, so when you say breaking the mold, what does that mean to you? Uh, breaking the mold is getting out of a one a narrowed view of treatment mm -hmm. um, so with myofunctional therapy not only can you spot something that a physician would primary care physicians are great at what they do but they only have they have a little bit of knowledge about everything and if they can save a patient an office visit and give them some meds they'll do it um, but you know there's you send one patient to a primary care or maybe even a sleep specialist, and they don't look at the facial architecture. They don't look at the physical structure, and they'll miss something. They'll say, oh, everything's fine. You'll grow out of it. Um, you know, 
we'll give some stimulants for the day or uh, we'll put you on some meds to kind of calm you down a little bit. But you send to a myofunctional therapist, and in this case, Autumn, and she sees where the architecture is a problem, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, things may be moved around. There may not be enough space because of the way the growth and development has gone. So myofunctional therapy plays a big role in, in my business, uh, personally, because I see patients that normally would just go to a physician and then they're left. They're just in the abyss mm-hmm. of, hey, I have a problem and I don't have a treatment. Mm-hmm. And um, with myofunctional therapy, something can be spotted. We can see how that um, affects the sleep. And then with the review, the review or the report from the sleep study, we can actually have surgery and correct that problem before it becomes another problem. And a lot of physicians will, I was speaking, it's just, this is the way sleep is done. Um, you know, I'm a part of the board and we believe this way. And I'm not looking at it any other way. I'm looking at it this way. I don't want to look at any other factors because this has worked for us for since sleep has started 20 years ago. And, um, you know, there's more to see, you know, this patient may not be sleeping or waking up. Sleep architecture is huge, but you have to evolve your way of thinking to treat. I mean, we, we have these, the knowledge of these things now we're able to treat. So a uh, civilization, people who don't have hypertension because right. of airway, you know, right. we can't fix airway as easily when somebody's, 35 or 40 and we can if they're three or four Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of and I I see it here in Greenville we have a lot of young patients that don't fit the mold of sleep and they have sleep deprivation type problems they fall asleep during the day they don't know why they got high blood pressure don't know why some of them on oxygen don't know why okay is there anything that you had questions about no, I think you've answered all my questions. So thank you. This okay. has been so informational and I really look forward to um, hopping over to your website. I know that you also linked a, um, an article, a research article that you like, and we'll put that in the show notes so people can read more about that because I think it kind of, it talks about some of what we've discussed and reflects maybe some of the case studies that we've also, um, you've shared here. Um, but that's one of your case reports, I think that you shared so did we, did we touch on that one? I think it was the nine-year-old twins. I don't think we talked about them specifically. No, uh, not, so nine-year-old twins really quick. Um, ENT said they didn't need tonsil adenoids out. They were both very tired, would go to sleep on the way to school. Uh, Mom recorded a video of them. I mean, it, it looks violent, gasping, choking mm. um, while they're sleeping. And that's an instance where they are, they look asleep, they feel asleep, but their body is working so hard to keep them alive. Mm. Um, so we did a home sleep test on them. They both had severe sleep apnea. One of the twins had extremely severe. I think her AHI was 80. Um, so her apnea apnea index was 80 an hour. Um, wow. and did maxillary expansion, um, took tonsils adenoids out and their whole demeanor changed. Singing in the shower, always ready, geared up, happy. Um, want to do sports, want to do more, we got a testimonial video for, for them. That is the, the common situation that we see where uh, mm-hmm. kids are kind of being passed over because, hey, you'll grow out of it, or mm-hmm. you know, they got school all day, and what time are they going to sleep? Right. Yep. It, there, there is a lot of things to look at in sleep, sleep hygiene and all that, but if we can get the airway corrected first, let's see what that does, and then we'll address any other issues. Yeah, I just actually had a client um, who's a friend email me yesterday and she was like, thank you for all of those posts about like, you know, 
you know, open mouth posture and how your child should not be breathing through their mouth and they shouldn't be snoring and this, that, and the other, um, because she went and took her child to the ENT and they found out that he had sleep apnea and they had the tonsils removed. And she said, my child who could not attend birthday parties before, who could not walk into Dave and Buster's because the noise and the lights would have set him into an entire meltdown who, you know, she said, I want to tell you that we went to a birthday party last weekend and we happened to just be walking through the mall. He ran into Dave and Buster's and started pretending to play with the games in there. And she's like, I don't know who this child is. I mean, you basically gave <laughs> my child a life because this was never my child before. And now that he can breathe and he can sleep, we're seeing a totally different child. And she's given me permission to share her story, which I want to like post in social media because it's just so powerful. And so it, it just, I think it give, will give parents hope um, that there are things out there that you can do for your young kids. And yes, as adults, we can definitely fix ourselves too and sleep better, but it's also, it takes a lot more work. <laughs> um, you know, it's for, for what seems like a very invasive, scary surgery, I think for a little kid and, you know, it might be a week or two of recovery. You're giving them an entire lifetime of health um, by doing this at such a young age. So, you know, yes, when it's, when it's necessary, the ENT tells you to do it. I think you should absolutely do it. <laughs> um, yes. But I think that if, you, if the ENT has said, no, I'm not concerned, like in my case, and you still have concerns of the parents, I don't think you should write those off. I think that you should, you know, again, we'll link your website so they can uh, reach out to you because I know that you work with PEDS so that people can figure out what the next route is because this isn't the end of the road. There's more that can be done. And, you know, my goal is to help get that information out there so that people know how to help themselves and their children be the healthiest versions of themselves. So thank you. This has been amazing. We will link that research article and truesleepdiagnostics.com um, that will all be in the show notes. I appreciate you being on and sharing all of this wealth of information today. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Ken. Have a wonderful day and we'll chat soon. All right. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these myotots, airway, and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes where you can also also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. Big shout out to Dana McKay, podcaster extraordinaire for editing and helping me keep this podcast alive.